Hello and welcome to this Endo Life. I'm Jessica Duffin. I'm an Endo Warrior and Endo Health Coach, and this podcast is all about living and thriving with endometriosis. As always, this podcast is here for educational purposes only. Please consult your medical practitioner before making any nutritional changes or bringing in any supplements. Before we dive into today's episode, I want to give a shout out to my lovely sponsors at BU. And I wanted to tell you about their new bath bombs, which are naturally made and contain beautiful essential oils. And their peppermint and eucalyptus essential oils um, bath bomb is doing so well right now with endometriosis community. They're getting loads of feedback about it. And, you know, if you love the patches themselves you're going to love the bath bombs because essentially it's (laughs) the patch in a bath bomb um so you know if you're on your period or if you're in pain you could have a bath with some of the bath bombs or one of them i don't know you could have multiple if you want um and then yeah get out the bath maybe rub in some cbd balm and put your patch on top, which is um, what a lot of people are feeding back that they're doing. So um, I would love to do that, but um, I don't have a bath, so I can't. But if you have a bath, um, then, you know, I think these new bath bombs could be a lovely way to help alleviate some of your pain. So if you'd like to check them out, you can go to BU which is buonline.co.uk and you can also order them from anywhere in the world on cultbeauty.co.uk and they deliver worldwide. So before we dive into today's episode, I wanted to give a shout out to the lovely girls at Semaine. They are two sisters with endometriosis. They've been on the show before and they founded Semaine, which is a supplement company for people with periods to originally their first supplement was to aid with PMS and period pain. And I know that it is a lifesaver for so many people with endometriosis and painful periods. I absolutely love that supplement. It's really helped me when I've had to kind of follow protocols for SIBO or, you know, I've had a stressful time and I've been worried about my period. I've been able to avoid a flare with that supplement and they've always been so kind and um, kindly sent me sent me them when I when I've needed them. And now they've come out with a new supplement called the Daily, and it is a hormone balancing supplement, which is designed to help with healthy skin, stable mood, fewer cravings in your luteal phase, blood sugar balance. And they recently gifted it to me. Honestly, I said this to my client the other day. My blood sugar levels have never felt so stable as they did when I was taking that day, daily supplement. As you guys know, I I work very hard to stabilize my blood sugar levels because that will keep inflammation down and it also ensures that you have healthy balanced hormones. It's, it's really, really key. And I have a history of having really unstable blood sugar. Originally growing up, it was because of my eating disorder. But then in later years, it was much more down to firstly following a vegan diet when I didn't understand how to build my plate, a healthy blood sugar balancing plate. And secondly, because of my microbiome and my microbiome because of SIBO is 
built to actually extract more glucose from my food and cause blood sugar instability. This is actually a really key piece of blood sugar. If your blood sugar is resisting all of the strategies you're trying, that is a massive clue that your microbiome is affecting the way that your blood sugar is is being controlled in your body. So we need to work on that, work on your gut. And mine has improved mine has improved massively, but I still react much more um erratically than someone else would to blood sugar fluctuations. And I couldn't believe the difference. It was like I had a whole month of like stable blood sugar. It was incredible. And as a result, I had much more of a healthier cycle. I felt a lot more satisfied. I had less food cravings. I just felt a lot more stable in energy. So I'm a really big fan of this. And as I said, blood sugar is a huge piece to managing your hormones, hence why blood sugar is such a big part of their their supplement. So the girls have kindly given me a discount code for you guys. It will get you 20% off your first um, order, whether that's the daily or the PMS and Peerage support capsules. And the code is ENDOLIFE, one word, all caps. So E-N-D-O-L-I-F-E. And that code is valid for the next six months, I believe. So you can use it at any time. Um, So let me know how you get on with them. I'd love to hear if you find them as amazing as I did. And I hope that they bring you a happier and healthier cycle and period. Hi, everyone. Fingers crossed I don't suddenly break out with hiccups. Is that the right phrase? Break out? Not really. Just get hiccups. Because I just had to spend like 45 minutes trying to get rid of them so I could record this intro. But I think they're gone now. So today's episode is all about PCOS. This month is PCOS Awareness Month, which is a lot for us because there's also IC Awareness Month going on as well. But I didn't want to raise awareness for one without the other. So today's episode is with Rachel Dutton, also known as the Period Whisperer. And she is pretty much one of the most knowledgeable women to grace this podcast. She's not only a women's health coach, but she's a yoga teacher, a reflexologist, aromatherapist, and womb massage therapist, to name just a few of her credentials. Rachel specializes in women's health and fertility, including PCOS. And as a PCOS warrior herself, she knows firsthand the struggle to get an accurate diagnosis, what life with PCOS symptoms are like, is like, but perhaps most importantly, she also knows how to manage and even reverse PCOS symptoms. And as this month is PCOS Awareness Month, and because PCOS is a co-condition of endometriosis, I'm giving you guys a really little treat. So in August, Rachel came and delivered a private talk to the members of my Live and Thrive membership. And so today, to celebrate PCOS Awareness Month, I'm actually sharing this recording with you. Now, just as a heads up, some of this talk has been cut as I wanted to ensure my members' privacy and half the talk was a Q&A session. So um, I've kind of like sliced up bits and pieces into one talk. Additionally, Rachel's um, presentation was delivered with slides. So you may hear her refer from time to time to like something on screen, but 
all the info you need is provided in this audio, so you shouldn't miss anything at all. In this episode, Rachel and I discuss the definition of PCOS, the associated symptoms and the key causes of the condition, the diagnostic criteria and how to get an accurate diagnosis, the core strategies for managing PCOS and reversing symptoms, how to safely and effectively exercise for PCOS management, the best types of essential oils for PCOS and how to use them, and the difference between ovarian cyst types and how to spot them. So I found this episode absolutely fascinating. Well, it wasn't an episode, it was a presentation. As you can hear, I've got a lot of enthusiastic questions and I think that it was super helpful for my members, so I hope it will be for you too. Now, before we get started with today's episode, I just wanted to remind you that this Friday I am speaking at the IC Retreat. The IC Retreat is a -a one-of-a-kind three-day virtual event where you get the chance to speak with industry specialists, learn powerful tools, and see IC in a new and informed light. Joanna Bartlett, who we had on the podcast last week, is the host, and she has put together an incredible lineup of speakers, including my tutor, Dr. Jessica Drummond. There is going to be talks on IC and painful sex. There's going to be a physiotherapist. There's going to be a mind-body coach, breath work. We're going to be talking about the nervous system and how that can exaggerate IC symptoms. There's going to be a discussion about nutrition, the basics of IC, how the gut microbiome affects IC. There's literally so much to this retreat. You don't have to attend live. You will get the recordings. Of course, if you attend live, you get to take part in the Q&As, etc. And with code ENDOBELLY10, you get $10 off. Tickets are £151 or $184. The retreat is online and is available to anyone, anywhere, and will be from Friday the 16th to Sunday the 18th. I really hope to see some of you there. I'm super excited about this talk. You can sign up by going to www.theicretreat.com. So polycystic ovarian syndrome or PCOS, we're going to do an overview. Um, And then just a little bit about me. My name is Rachel Dutton. Uh, I got nicknamed the period whisperer by Lisa from the Fertility Friday podcast after she interviewed me there and it's kind of stuck. So I ended up rebranding and going with that. Um, So I'm qualified in natural family planning and fertility awareness, women fertility massage, nutrition, sleep consulting, reflexology, aromatherapy and yoga. Um, And I combine all those together to help people with period and fertility problems, including people with endometriosis and PCOS. Um, So polycystic ovarian syndrome or PCOS, or sometimes it's called PCOS, is a constellation of symptoms that are related to excess androgens, which is another name for male hormones, mostly testosterone, but you can include DHEA in that as well, and raised luteinizing hormone or LH. It's not actually a um, disease in its own right, it's just a constellation of symptoms. And the signs and symptoms can include irregular ovulation and periods or a complete lack of ovulation and periods, reduced fertility, unwanted facial hair or body hair known as hirsutism, oily skin, acne, thinning hair or hair loss from the scalp known as alopecia, 
weight problems, being overweight, rapid weight gain, and difficulty losing weight in particular, which is super frustrating because doctors will always say, just lose weight. Um, depression and mood changes. So things that people with PICOs are fed up of hearing is you just need to lose the weight. You just need to wash your skin, try this super expensive skincare routine, cut out all fats or cut out all carbohydrates or cut out some other food group. Um, people disbelieving your period's on because it can last six weeks, six months, and then disappear for a year. Um, you just need to try harder. That's another one. You wouldn't have depression if you just lost weight. And actually depression is super common because of all the other symptoms. And even infertility is not such a big deal when it really is for some people. So that sounds a bit depressing. And it can be a, a bit frustrating sometimes because no one really knows what causes PCOS. There are thoughts that it could be genetics or um, other factors, I'm just admitting someone, um, such as environmental factors that are affecting it. And the symptoms can have long, lifelong, long-term health complications if left unchecked. If you think about diabetes in particular, um, one of the underlying mechanisms of PCOS is insulin resistance. So a lot of the long-term risks that happen with diabetes are also linked with PCOS. But whilst it's not curable, you can reverse the symptoms and gain control. So just a disclaimer, I reversed all the symptoms and got myself down to a size 8 to 10. But the last three years of lockdown, I've had an ankle injury and a jaw injury. So I couldn't eat right and I couldn't exercise right. And the weight's gone on. But I know <laughs> that that kind of proves that the stuff I know does work and the stuff I haven't been able to do. Um, is frustrating but it's going back the other way now I can swim again so it is nice to know that I've got control over the situation and other people can learn to gain that control as well um, I've noticed that there's some things in the chat but what I'm going to do is just going to go through the presentation and then I'll come to the questions at the end um, otherwise well, it's get... just me ignore it it's just okay. me saying, um, I was glad Calvin we got to reach Calvin I was just thanking Anna <laughs> Okay, cool. Um, I get very distracted if I start looking at comments and things. So I'll just move through these slides. Um, so what's going on? Okay, so you may or may not have heard of the hypothalamic pituitary adrenal axis or the HPA axis, which is responsible for your stress response. And in someone with a well-functioning HPA axis and stress response, what happens is that a stressor happens and our primitive response that is primed for escaping predators, etc., um, will ramp up the cortisol. It will also tell the brain that something serious is happening and a whole load of other things will go on as well. So it, we will get a release of inflammatory cytokines, even though cortisol is anti-inflammatory or the cytokines that it stimulates are inflammatory so you get inflammation throughout the system it stimulates um, the release of blood glucose so that you've got extra energy to run from a predator your blood thickens your blood pressure increases again to give you um, the ability to clot fast so that a predator can't scent you so every time this stress response is triggered 
all these different things are happening to increase your blood sugar levels, to increase um, your clotting factors, to increase inflammation as well, because um, you're running from things. And after that stress response has happened, your body should then be able to calm down and reverse all that. And that's what happens in someone whose hormones are working beautifully and has no underlying health conditions, etc. If someone is undergoing a prolonged period of stress, even if it's something like they didn't quite sleep as well as they could have last night, um, or if you've got an underlying condition affecting either cortisol or inflammation or um, insulin, then your HPA axis may not be performing as well as it should be. So we're looking at dysregulated cortisol, dysregulated insulin and dysregulated inflammation. And then we've got the majority of people who have PCOS are insulin resistant. And both insulin and inflammation stimulate the ovaries to produce excess testosterone. We should be producing testosterone, that's not a bad thing, but too much is where it becomes a problem. It can then either convert into dihydrotestosterone, which is like testosterone's evil twin, um, and that produces all the symptoms of high androgens. So the extra hirsutism, such as facial hair, excess body hair, the female pattern baldness, which looks similar to male pattern baldness, so thinning on the top of the head, the acne, the weight gain, etc. Or in some people, the excess testosterone can aromatize back into estrogen. And also we've got the issue where follicles are not um, stimulated enough for ovulation. So the follicle starts to develop and then it never erupts into um, an ovulation. And that's colloquially called a cyst, but it's not technically a cyst, it's one of these unruptured follicles. And eventually you start getting this sort of string of pearls presentation when you look at an ultrasound of someone with active PCOS symptoms, and they call them cysts, but actually you can just see all these larger follicles that haven't yet ruptured. So there are several things going on. You've got the inflammation and the insulin excess creating the high testosterone and then the high testosterone can um, convert into DHT or as I call it testosterone's evil twin or it can convert into excess estrogen which can exacerbate things like endometriosis. So the criteria for diagnosis, most countries including the UK use the Rotterdam criteria. There are always ongoing discussions with various different PICOS charities about whether it's the best criteria, but it's what's used at the moment. So you need two out of three. One is a cluster of symptoms. So it might be acne as an adult, it might be subfertility, it might be the thinning female pattern hair loss, the inability to lose weight. Um, it, it could be any of those. And each physician has their own sort of guidelines as to what point they would consider that to pass that criteria. The second one is raised androgens in blood serum testing. And the third one is the cluster of cysts. Usually the criteria is around 15 that show up in ultrasound. And when I said that you can reverse your symptoms, I had reversed all of these three. So um, 
I technically would not qualify for a repeat PCOS diagnosis, even though I had about 10 years of constant scans and symptoms and blood tests. Um, so you can take control of those. So you'll hear people talk about different PCOS types. Um, I'm just gonna move the, there's a, a zoom screen bit that was in the way of things. Um, so the first one is insulin resistance based PCOS. And that is 70 to 80%, the numbers sort of vary. And that is essentially where the body's cells are not um, sensitive enough to insulin. So your cells need energy from the foods that you eat. Insulin helps get the energy into those cells and to use. Um, and if your cells don't recognize the insulin or are not responding to the insulin, they can't get that energy. So the pancreas has to create more insulin to get the same response. And then eventually it realizes there's more insulin. So if you imagine um, noisy neighbors, there's a point at which you can sort of tune them out. But then if they crank up the sound again, um, you will again think, oh, that's a bit loud. They'll adjust to it, et cetera, et cetera. So the cells, they've gotten used to that higher amount of insulin again, so they downregulate their response to that insulin again. So then the pancreas has to produce more. So then the cells downregulate that response again, and eventually the pancreas flames out and you get type two diabetes. And this can happen over decades. It does, doesn't often happen very quickly, although it can in some people. Um, usually it's a very sort of long process. And obviously I mentioned before that excess insulin um, can convert into testosterone. The excess insulin can also promote inflammation as well. Um, we've got the inflammatory PCOS type, which is where the inflammation is causing things. That's anywhere between 10 and 20%, depending on, uh, again, what source you look at. And then there's the DHEA type. This is 10% of people with a PCOS diagnosis. So they will see very clearly in their blood serum, they've got elevated DHEA, and this is an adrenal issue in that the adrenals are producing too much. And you can't obviously reduce the insulin and um, the inflammation to reduce symptoms. You're looking at stopping the conversion into dihydrotestosterone, if that is you. Um, things that kind of look like PCOS but aren't, you'll hear some people talk about post-pill syndrome or post-pill PCOS. And that is where after you come off the pill, there's an androgen bounce back. So your body produces more androgens than normal and you get all these symptoms. They will eventually self-resolve after a few months, sometimes up to two years, but they do eventually self-resolve. And if you follow a PCOS protocol, they will resolve faster. There is also hypothalamic amenorrhea, which is where the body ceases to ovulate. It's not due to the excess testosterone or anything like that. It is usually down to severe illness, um, nutrient deficiency, being severely underweight. It's usually something serious underlying it. So if you think you've got PCOS and it could be anything else, you still need to go and get evaluated because it could be one of these things going on. There's also um, hyperplasia of the adrenals, chronic um, 
CAH and that is something else that could be going on and again that would need some medical investigations to see if that has any other effects going on in your health and well-being. Um, so there are two things that you're looking at doing to get your PCOS symptoms under control. One is prevent the excess androgens by controlling cortisol, inflammation and blood sugar levels, which means you can't always have delicious cake. Um, and the second thing is the preventing excess androgens from turning into testosterone's evil twin. So there are several ways you can do this. Um, the medical route, or the standard route, um, is sometimes they'll put you on hormonal birth control. This won't um, actually treat the PCOS, although some doctors say it does. It's just holding the system in stasis until you come off it. Uh, metformin, this increases insulin sensitivity. Um, so that does deal with the earlier stage. And I know a lot of my clients start off by going to the doctor and going on metformin. It's technically off-label because it's a diabetes medication and um, the doctor is prescribing it off-label for people with PCOS, but a lot of doctors will do it. And being completely honest, it can be a useful in-between route while someone's figuring out all the diet and nutrition and lifestyle changes, but we'll come back onto that. Spironolactone is an anti-androgen medication that can help with the hair um, issues and the hirsutism issues. And then for people who are looking at fertility issues, they can do ovarian drilling, which is a laparoscopic procedure and IVF. I'm not sure why there's a second either. Um, Going on to the more holistic route, which is what Jess and I do, you've got nutrition and lifestyle changes that can be made. So that can include nutrition, um, which with PCOS is looking at low glycemic index foods and sometimes going into the mid glycemic index. So keeping your blood sugar levels under control, um, usually seeing how you go without dairy and gluten because those can cause insulin spikes. There are supplements that can be used as well that work similar to metformin but have less side effects and sleep is super important because having one night less than optimal sleep can make you as insulin resistant as a type 2 diabetic and also it can increase your inflammation and dysregulate your cortisol and that HPA axis. Um, exercise is a really interesting one. With PCOS you can do um, cardio, you could do maximum intensity interval training and still put on weight around your middle. <laughs> it's really frustrating. So I don't know if any of you have heard of insanity. I did it for a month and I put on two stone around my middle and that was because it was further dysregulating my HPA axis. So with exercise, it's going slowly and um, to using weights as well. So very slow flow yoga, using your body weight, Pilates and swimming, that's the main one I do. Um, and also aromatherapy can be helpful as well. Um, if you have both PCOS and endometriosis, often you can think, I'm not sure which one to go for first, treat the endometriosis first. One, a lot of the things that help the endometriosis will help with the PCOS. And two, endometriosis has the more severe um, near-term symptoms, whereas the PCOS, you've got time to get there. So 
if you're feeling you're not sure which one's the most important that's one I would prioritize so holistic treatment of PCOS the first route reducing the excess androgens I've mentioned this before with nutrition we're aiming to keep blood sugar levels stable and reduce inflammation so this is increasing the amount of protein and fat you're eating and ensuring that they're a component of every meal and snack looking at low GI foods um, dairy and gluten can spike your insulin levels so definitely worth taking them out for a while and seeing if that improves especially if you are monitoring your blood sugar levels and if you need to snack every two to three hours then your blood sugar levels are unstable so you can start thinking about increasing um, proteins and fats in your meals and making sure that you are feeling uh, sated after every meal. So exercise I mentioned as well. So avoid or limit cardio, stick to resistance-based exercise, such as swimming, yoga and Pilates, go slow. Try weight, but don't push it. If you start doing heavy lifting, you can actually increase your testosterone. Um, which is not what you want to do. So you want to ignore those. There is a form of um, intensity interval training called Tabata, which is very short. You can do a seven minute variant and 11 minute variant and a 12 minute variant. It's not 12, sorry, 20 minute variant. And what it is, is you do 30 seconds of absolute going full pelt and 30 seconds of complete rest. And you repeat this several times and it can go up to a minute depending on the variant that you do. You can do that for a short period of time. However, if you do a high intensity, uh, intensity class or a maximum, um, this can trigger the issues that I mentioned earlier. And there are a lot of fitness influencers who misread or misunderstood several studies about this. So there was a study showing that Tabata can help with insulin sensitivity and cortisol regulation. And there was also a study that was done that was um, asking people to fill in a survey several months after the fact on how much they think they exercise, what they thought the intensity of their exercise was and whether they thought their symptoms increased or reduced. And first of all, these kind of retrospective surveys are not helpful because most people don't remember or, you know, want to make it look like they've done more than they have. Um, it didn't define what light, moderate and high intensity exercise was. And it was talking about whether the exercise overall was light, moderate or high intensity, not high intensity interval training, which is something else. Um, so you will see that misquoted a lot and it's really important that you pay attention because you can end up really messing up your body unfortunately. Um, so let's talk about the blocking the DHT route. So there are supplements that can help with this, so zinc can help, uh, reishi mushrooms, quercetin which is found in onions, dim which some of you may be familiar with um, if you've been looking into endometriosis things, um, green tea, mint and rosemary tea and, tea and saw palmetto extract. Just a reminder that this episode is sponsored by BU.
These natural patches last for 12 hours, so they bring you prolonged relief and can begin working on relaxing your muscles before the pain kicks in, so you're prepared even if your period comes during the middle of the day. Some people even find that wearing them a night before their period can really help soothe the inflammation in the area. To shop, just head to the link in my show notes. Maybe a quick bit about aromatherapy, if there's any tips for reducing androgen, any of that reduce androgens. Reducing androgens, okay, cool. So um, with aromatherapy, there are several things you can do. Is First of all, you can use essential oils to help reduce your stress and your cortisol. You can help with your sleep. Um, and there are some that help with insulin sensitivity and inflammation. I made a note because being completely honest, as an aromatherapist, I've got like 200 essential oils. I probably use 10 at the most. And when people start looking into aromatherapy and essential oils, it's so tempting to go out and like buy every single one and get really excited. And if you do that, I'm not judging you. I've done the same many times over. But usually you end up with about five or six that work really well for you and um, you end up sticking to those. And you like the scent of them as well. Like there are some like chamomile. I know it's super helpful with relaxing. Um, I can't stand it. So <laughs> we all have our own preferences as well. Um, I'm going to send Jess a PDF guide on like essential safety for you guys to look at but essentially make sure you always dilute them don't take them internally unless it's prescribed by a doctor because um some of them for example like peppermint which is commonly taken internally can actually trigger cardiac conditions and seizure conditions if you have underlying things so um in the uk us across europe you do actually have to be an internal medicine prescriber to advise someone to take them internally it doesn't mean you can't it just means you have to be careful and there are appropriate preparations and you can buy things in ready-made preparations. So that's the, the overall safety. Don't apply them to anyone else, kids, pets, because um, they can't say no very easily. If you have an allergic reaction, wash off with soap or a base oil. And when I say dilute essential oils, that means um, dilute them with a base oil. So any kind of general seed oil. So I use um, grape seed oil, almond oil, um, you can even use olive oil, though obviously that smells of olives as well. That can be a bit of an interesting mix. Um, so essential oils to help you with sleep. Everyone goes to lavender and it's the biggest one that people get really confused about because they're like, I sprinkled my pillow in lavender. I had diffusers going. I covered myself in it and I can't sleep I'm really wide awake and lavender is a really interesting one because with aromatherapy you have three notes you have your base note which is your least volatile um, compounds and they take the longest to um, evaporate and that's the the smell that stays for a long time same with perfume so you'll notice when you put perfume on you get the initial whiff that's your high notes so your bright notes such as lemon and other citruses or astringent notes like um, tea tree those are the most volatile ones and those you'll get the initial hit and they then disappear off and then you've got the mellow notes which is the mid notes and then the bass notes. And lavender ha has all three 
which is quite unusual. So if you use a little bit of lavender, it can be nice and relaxing. If you go crazy with the lavender, you're going to get the constant astringent hit as you move around. So it can be stimulating if used in excess. So lavender can be really helpful. It can help with lots of skin conditions. It's anti-inflammatory. It is like the essential oil that does everything. It's slightly antimicrobial. Um, I had a nurse recommend me to, to use it after surgery because I wasn't healing and it all my skin suddenly healed up, whereas like silver and antibiotics hadn't worked. Lavender is incredible, but in small doses. <laughs> um, chamomile is great for helping with relaxing and sleep, as is vetiver, valerian, cedarwood, sandalwood, ylang-ylang. That's an interesting one because it's also an aphrodisiac. Um, my husband doesn't know it works on him because whenever I'm mixing that up with someone else, then, um, we'll just say <laughs> that has an effect that he's unaware of. Um, bergamot, or I learned it in France, or bergamot if you're English. So that's the citrus that you get in Earl Grey tea. Um, and that can be really good for lowering your blood pressure before sleep, actually. Um, Copaiba is a really good one for helping with anxiety and orange and most of the citruses are really helpful for mood so they can lift your mood or they can bring you to a calm place. Um, for insulin resistance a lot of the hot oils are super helpful so these have to be super diluted which includes clove. Um, clove should never be used in more than a 0.5% dilution so that's two teaspoons of base oil to one drop of clove oil just to give you an idea so that's um how diluted it needs to be um oregano fenugreek cumin and cinnamon are the ones that can really help with insulin resistance again they're all fairly hot oils so they need more diluting than normal and if you're not sure start with a one percent dilution which is one drop to one teaspoon of carrier oil do a tiny patch test on your skin. And if you have any kind of reaction, just wash it off with soap um, or put more base oil on it. But I think soap and water is the easiest thing to do. And if it continues, then obviously seek medical help. Um, but those are sort of hot oils that will feel hot on the skin if you don't dilute them enough. Um, for inflammation, frankincense is my favourite. It's a bit more expensive, but it's another one of those that I think everyone should have in their medicine cabinet because it can help with so many things. Um, it's amazing for reducing inflammation and for all kinds of like coughs, colds. Um, I use it a lot with endometriosis patients, so it's a really great one to have. Um, turmeric, lavender, eucalyptus, fennel, ginger and clove are also really helpful with inflammation as well. And then for the reducing the five alpha reductase um, amounts, it's four. There are some studies on this, but they're a bit more limited. Lavender, tea tree, spearmint. Some people say peppermint as well, but um, the study actually specifically mentioned spearmint. Rosemary, cypress, sandalwood, and pumpkin seed oil is an interesting one. Um, so those are the, the key ones <laughs> that I would do. I'll put those in an email and then in the PDF I'm sending um, Jess there's a list of ones for like heavy periods and other like PMS other sort of common period problems list in there as well um, but that's sort of essential oils 101 for PCOS.
That's amazing. Thank you. There's so much to learn about aromatherapy. I just feel like it's this whole world that it is yeah, really deep dive if you get into it, right? Yes, it's you can end up doing like a five year long qualification to get a license kit. And I, I just did something like a three year, I think, in total. Wow. Um, it's amazing. I will say, though, aromatherapy cannot make up for a rubbish diet and no sleep. <laughs> so. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Um, OK, so I'm um, just thinking about timing. Should we just dive, dive into the questions submitted? Is that yes, okay? yes, yes. Go for it. Okay, great. So I'm going to start with your questions, Calvin, um, because they were the first ones. So um, we did cover this, but part of it is not covered. So be interesting. Um, how do you get an accurate diagnosis of PCOS? And is PCOS something that can be seen visually during a laparoscopy for endo? And I just want to add on to that, that I have, um, I have a client who... I am certain has PCOS, but I can't make a diagnosis. And what's really irritating, especially because she's in the US, is that she bounces from doctor to doctor. And so one doctor will say, you have PCOS, one says you don't. Another one will say, yeah, maybe you're borderline. And so it's just so difficult for her to know what to believe. And I can't say, yeah, you have a diagnosis. But I mean, you know, she has 40-day cycles. She like, there's just so many signs i mean even her, even her hormones so i don't really understand how she can get a, a not an accurate diagnosis for it to be honest yeah so the standard criteria that most people use is that rotterdam criteria but you can take one step back and look at what you want to achieve from the diagnosis because pcos you can treat with like nutrition supplements dietary and lifestyle changes and look at how your symptoms are you don't need a diagnosis for that you need a diagnosis if you want metformin or spironolactone or ovarian drilling but if you want to go down the holistic route you can monitor your symptoms and the severity yourself and chart your cycles and chart your blood sugar levels so whilst it's really frustrating sometimes trying to get a diagnosis it's usually not as bad as trying to get an endometriosis diagnosis but it can be really frustrating especially if you've got a doctor who is just unsympathetic and I think we've all been there or doesn't know much about PCOS um, so first of all usually you need to see either a gynecologist or an endocrinologist in the UK they prefer an endocrinologist usually um, but I have been referred to gynecologists several times um, the criteria doesn't include a laparoscopic exam and without literally dissecting the ovary they wouldn't be able to see inside um, to count the follicles you would need an ultrasound specifically for that but there again if you met the other two criteria and the doctor was happy to diagnose you on the blood serum and the constellation of symptoms you've got you don't need the ultrasound but most most doctors will so ideally you want to go through those three criteria and get your diagnosis um, if you're hitting resistance with doctors it sounds really horrible because I've been through this myself get a second opinion I know that's not always easy to do especially if you're like that's like two hours on a train in the other direction because you know it's the NHS um, but please do you know if, if you want that diagnosis do advocate for yourself um, 
you can write down all your symptoms in advance, what your concerns are. If you're coming at it from a fertility point of view, um, if you're in the US, you might actually want to go to a fertility clinic and they would probably look into it if your standard doctor doesn't. But again, it, it depends what you you want to achieve from getting the diagnosis. Um, and I mentioned before about supplements and metformin being an insensitizing medication. Inocytol um, is does pretty much the same thing and has less side effects. So the ideal combination of inocytal is a 40 to one of myo-inocytal to inocytal. But taking any kind of inocytal supplement is going to increase your insulin sensitivity and help you through. And there's another supplement called berberine, which is even more effective, but it does interact with a lot of medications and has other side effects. Um, you can go down either of those routes nutritionally um, and work with someone who specializes in nutrition um, or even with inocytal, not ideal. You can kind of figure it out with some internet searches what a decent um, amount is or just follow the packaging and see how you go. So um, if you can't get the diagnosis, you, there are other things that you can do to help your PCOS. So it's, it's not the end of the world if you can't get it unless you need it for any particular reason. Okay, thank you so much. And actually, Dr. Jolene Brighton has a really good article. So when I upload the video and your links, I'll put Dr. Jolene Brighton's article. And she actually has a supplement. Um, I can't say it for inocytol. I can't say it. I always say <laughs> inocytol. I don't know why. Um, okay, so next question, and this is my question as well, is can you have PCOS without regular cycles? Um, she has many PCOS symptoms, but not irregular cycles, and I am exactly the same. Yeah, so you can have PCOS and have regular cycles. You can have PCOS and have irregular cycles. Like with all symptom clusters, if you think back to like when you go into a first aid class and you learn all the symptoms of a heart attack, you can have any combinations of those Um in any amount of severity, you could have one or you could have every single thing on the list or you could have a random three and someone else could have a completely different random three. Um, it's that cluster of symptoms and their severity. And as I said, I currently, other than uh, weight and some acne at the moment due to not having been able to move thanks to my leg injury um, for three years, I've reversed all my symptoms permanently but those two came back but I still have a regular cycle um and they are improving now that I'm back to swimming again <laughs> so it, it's highly highly individual so it's not purely just on the menstrual cycle and the ovulation and not everyone will have that ultrasound with the unruptured follicles it's highly highly ind individual Okay, that's so. I have so many more questions I want to ask. That's all right. They're selfish in my, my um, situation. So I'm going to move on to the next question. So, is PCOS something that can develop over time before a diagnosis can be made? A little like what some research was indicating can happen with type two, type two diabetes. And if so, 
what would be some of the things to look out for or get tested? So I think we discussed this on when, on Monday and you were saying like, is it something that can be, can you develop PCOS from lifestyle and nutrition like, like you could develop type 2 diabetes? So whether you have PCOS or not, they think there's a genetic component. So your genes as to whether you will have those symptoms are set. But the insulin resistance and the inflammation can get worse if left untreated over a long period of time. So you can start off with um, mild hypoglycemia and hyperglycemia, so slightly too low, slightly too high blood sugar levels, where the average healthy person in heavy bunny ear quotes wouldn't get that. That then goes eventually into reactive hyperglycemia. So I used to get this. So I remember once going to get some lunch um it was from like a, a market stall selling hot pasta in London and I went and sat down at a desk and I got shaken awake and I had the keyboard imprint on my desk because I'd literally conked out because my blood sugar level crashed straight after eating the pasta so that's reactive hypoglycemia what happened was I had a little bit of extra carbohydrate than I normally do my pancreas just took it as to be like a complete emergency and released all the insulin it could, dump that on it, and then I crashed with a really low blood sugar level. Um, you then move on to metabolic syndrome, which has more things. You then go on to insulin resistance, then pre-diabetes, then type 2 diabetes, and that can take decades, um, which is why I said it's, it is serious, but you know, <laughs> treat the endometriosis first because you've got time uh, mm. with the PCOS, and the same with the inflammation route if that's your issue. Um, the, the inflammation usually takes time to sort of, sort of progress in something noticeable. And again, if you've got endometriosis and you're looking after yourself on the inflammation route, then that's going to be helping your PCOS as well. And I had a really quick final question. Um, okay, so how how would one know the difference between whether their cysts on their ovaries were from follicles not erupting? versus what a cyst filled with like just fluid and why would that happen versus it not just being a follicle like missing ovulation right you try to ovulate and it didn't happen so the difference between the two is a radiologist should be able to spot um because the the cysts from polycystic ovarian syndrome are internal uh, and sort of deep in the ovary whereas cysts filled with liquid look slightly different and usually often there are like bumps on top of the ovary um, mm. as well as you can get them inside and you can get chocolate cysts as well which have blood in so the appearance should be different enough for a radiologist to know sometimes it might not be because you know bodies are weird and wonderful um, but then that's why they look at the, the blood serums and the cluster of symptoms what was the second part of the question sorry uh I can't remember. I think I think you've answered it. Whatever I asked, I feel like you answered it. <laughs> um, I guess so. They would if if they said to you you have polycystic ovaries, obviously not syndrome, but they've said you've got polycystic ovaries, then you know that that is from missed kind of you know missed ovulation essentially. Follicles haven't erupted. So you you could ask them. Are you you saying that I've got cysts that are fluid filled sacs with hormone or blood or whatever else are in there um or are you saying that my cyst is an unruptured 
follicle from a missed ovulation you can ask that very specifically and also paying attention to your own cycle and like whether you are you ovulating regularly or are you one of these people like me in my teenage years six weeks no period six months nothing but period Mm -hmm. uh you know if you're having regular cycles and if you're paying attention to body temperature and cervical fluid as well you'll have an idea of whether you're ovulating or not you can have ultrasounds to see if you are ovulating because straight after ovulation you should start seeing the follicle sac transforming into the corpus luteum and they can check that a couple of days after ovulation but there's a very narrow window before it starts degrading again Okay, that's really helpful. Thank you so much. This was fascinating. I'm so glad we got here. I swear. Are we in Mercury retrograde? Does anyone know? Because, like, you know this... what? I'm an amateur astronomer. I should know. So that's it. Thank you so much for listening. If you want to find out more about what I do or read more on endometriosis and living well with it, um, you can head to my Instagram page, which is this underscore endolife. Um, you can head to my website which is www.thisendolife.com and you can also get um, a free guide to managing endometriosis naturally on my website Um, I've put the link in my show notes it's a beginner's guide to getting started and all of the areas that I um, have worked on to help reduce my endometriosis symptoms and pain and live well with endometriosis as always if you like this show please rate review and or subscribe really truly does help others to hear the podcast and hopefully will help them to live better with endometriosis this episode was produced by the pod farm whether you're an established podcaster or just getting started visit thepodfarm.com to see how they can help you go from an idea to a finished show that's ready to be heard by the world 